Well, I want to share a couple of thoughts before I jump in this morning. First of all, it's, a, it's indeed a, a privilege for me to uh, be a candidate for the lead pastor position. And uh, being here for the last four years as an associate pastor, um, I love this community dearly. And uh, during the Q&A, during the 9 o'clock hour, as I shared, um, one, of, one of my motivations or callings in uh, putting my name in the hat um, was that this church uh, deserves to see better days. I really believe that. And I want to be a part of that. And uh, also God's calling in my life, and I think I've shared uh, a couple of times that I didn't come here, uh, obviously, on staff to be a lead pastor. I've been a lead pastor before. Uh, and with uh, some of the events that had happened, it sort of found me. And it caused Janiel and I to really think about and consider and pray over uh, quite a bit this position of lead pastor, because uh, I kind of had the plan of going off and being a full-time pastor and then uh, gradually decreasing my hours here, but still staying here at Maple Grove Covenant. But God had different plans. And over a couple of months, uh, God called me to that. And it's my privilege to be here this morning. I'm very excited uh, on what he has in store for this message. And then uh, we'll see with, with, with what happens with the vote. So... <laughs> um, I, I have uh, spent most of my life, actually, in the church as a child, as a teenager, as an adult. And uh, not only do I love Maple Grove Covenant, but I love the church in general. And we live in a day and age where there's a lot of skepticism and cynicism. And, and it seems like a lot of that is aimed towards the church. Um, but when, when we think about the church and... Um, consider what it is, is that it is the primary agency through which God brings about salvation. It's the primary vehicle through which God brings hope and transformation and change in the lives of people. And I want to be a part of that. And I love the church um, with that, is that there's something absolutely singularly um, beautiful and unique and gracious about the church in terms of our society and our world and what God does in and through the church. And obviously he works in other ways as well, but there's something absolutely beautiful about the church. And it reminds me of a story when I was in college. I had, was going to the University of Minnesota, and I uh, was, back in that day, you could actually pay your way through college if you saved your money and such. And I was paying my way through college, and I commuted, and I had to save money if I ever wanted to buy a gift or a present uh, for somebody. And my sister's here this morning. I did that a couple of times, Kim, right? A couple of times. Uh, and then, uh, but one time I remember I bought a, a, a gift for my mom. I want to surprise her. And there was a store near, a clothing store near where I worked over in West St. Paul. And in the store, they had this, this table uh, with an assortment of clothing that had a, a little bit of disrepair, maybe a, a hole here, but really small uh, defections. And I remember walking over there, and it had a sign that said, Damaged Goods. And because I didn't have a lot of money, and these, clo- these clothes were on sale, I kind of rummaged through the different shirts and sweaters, and I came across a sweater I thought my mom would absolutely love, like, for sure, you know, bet the house, my mom's going to love this sweater. And it had a, a very minor defect, and just a small hole, you really couldn't see it. So I paid for it, and I brought it home and to give it to my mom. And, and I gave it to her, and it wasn't a birthday, it wasn't, uh, you know, Christmas or anything. It was just totally out of the blue, which is the best time for a gift. And I gave her this sweater, and, and she looked at it, and looked at the design and the color, 
And she said, you know what? Your, your grandma's going to love this. It had nothing to do with this little hole as a fact of the design and the color. And ever since then, I never buy clothing for women unattended. (laughs) I learned that lesson. But for me, in a lot of ways, the church is a table of damaged goods, isn't it? It is. We come together and we have disrepair in our lives. And people that I talk to that are skeptical about the church and have written the church off, and, and there's a variety of people I talk to that haven't been to church 10, 15, 20 years, have given up on the church. And their, their statement is, I, I don't want to be in the church any longer because it seems like you have, your all, your li- you have to have your life all together. And I have too much disrepair. I have, I have too many mistakes in my life, and I'm not going to fit in. And, and what I try to explain to them and what my heart is, is that a church is the table of damaged goods. And we come together on these Sunday mornings together as a way to sort of repair one another. That's the church. Um, as a way to repair one another. And, and obviously, ultimately, to come to God for Him to repair and work in our lives. That's so important for us. That each of us are damaged goods. And that God wants to do something with our lives. And with that, I want to begin with just a couple of main texts for us because um, we have a role to play in that. We have a role to play in this sort of table of damaged goods. And if you have a Bible this morning, I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 12. And I'm going to look at a foundational text for my life. And, and many of you have heard me preach on this many times and for me, this is, this is the, sort of the baseline, the foundation for my own um, worldview, my own theology, my own ministry. And you'll find it in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Before I start, let me pray for us. God in heaven, thank you so much for um, this morning and just for the opportunity for me to be considered as a candidate for the lead pastor position. It's very humbling. Um, I... I'm just moved by that opportunity. And also your movement and your promptings over these last several months. I pray that you anoint and bless this message, that people would walk away um, and take another step in their love and their devotion to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. The Lord, Yahweh, had said to Abraham, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land I will show you. And I just always comment on that, because it's just, I'm going to, you know, go, go to this land, but I'm not going to tell you where it is. I'm not going to tell you the zip code, but just go there. I'll, I'll show you later. And it, it, it's, a, it's really an imitation around obedience. And he says this, and this is the Abrahamic covenant. This is, a, this is a promise that God gives to Abraham. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So we see here in missiology languages, we see a top-line blessing and the bottom-line blessing. The top-line blessing is that, first, is that Abraham is going to receive from God all that he wants to give. He's going to receive from God all that God wants to give. That's a top-line blessing. It's better first to receive. It goes against the adage that most, most of us are used to. So he receives from God all that God wants to give to him. But it doesn't stop there. Abraham, his life is to be a conduit. The bottom line blessing is then to give that away. 
the blessings, the, the things that we get in terms of our gifts, our talents, our treasures, our time, are to be, give, be given to other people to bless them, to make a difference in their lives. With that thought, I want to move now, fast forward, way over in the New Testament into Ephesians. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2, and let's take a look at verse 10. And in Ephesians chapter 2 is a, a passage that is absolutely loaded with a number of thoughts here. And it's sort of sequential as the Apostle Paul, um, who very much grew up in this Hebrew concept and this calling and this covenant of this Abrahamic covenant, understood that. And I think in many ways he sort of echoes that, to be a blessing, that, li- that life is to receive from God, but then on top of it is to be a blessing, to actually make a difference in the world. And skip ahead to verse 10. There's so much in verses 1 through 9. If you haven't read that before, I encourage you to do this. But we get to verse 10. This is kind of the climax. This is sort of the exclamation point of Ephesians chapter 2. And and Paul writes this. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. For what purpose? Why do we eat and breathe and live? So that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. And in your program, you have teaching notes. I want to encourage you to follow follow along with me so that we could do good works. And what Paul is tapping into is this ancient Hebrew concept called mitzvah. And mitzvah, if you've heard of bar mitzvah, it's the same thing. But mitzvah is this uh, idea, this concept of to do a good thing, a kind deed, to be a blessing, to serve another person. That's what Paul's talking about, is that the point of salvation and the point of God's movement and his work in our our lives is to do good works. For us, it's not just simply to eat and breathe and take up space. It's that we're here on earth for a reason. We're here to serve. We're here to make a difference. And the question that, that, that I've been asking myself with this message, and, and this is a fresh message for me because I was kind of going back and forth on what to preach on. I was getting freedom to preach on anything I wanted to, and I could have used something from four or five years ago. But I wanted to talk about something that's so dear to my heart and something that's ab- absolutely pivotal, I think, to Christianity, but also to pastoral ministry, and that's mitzvah, is to make a difference, to do good work, to offer a kind deed to another person. That is what Christianity is about, and that's what pastoral ministry is about. It's not about having a book deal. It's not about having 10,000 people follow your blog. It's about the baseline of pastoral ministry, and Christianity, by the way, is service, serving the other. But why should we do this? Why should you and I serve? Because it's very easy for you to rely on other people in this church to to do the service, to volunteer. It's very easy for me as a pastor to rely on other people to serve and to take care of that stuff. Meanwhile, I go to my office and I spend more time in, in commentary studying Hebrew and Greek words and all that kind of stuff, and that's fine. But really, at, at, at its core, what pastoral ministry is about and what a lead pastor is about is serving. And we've lost that. And for me, that's the heart. It's the heart of pastoral ministry, and it's the heart of serving. And I want to share four reasons why um, it's so important. Number one, it brings joy in my life. And you can kind of apply this to your own life, too, is why should you serve? Why should you volunteer? Well, it should bring joy in your life. 
I have found out a long ago that the pursuit of happiness, the, the goal of life, is not found in power, positions, possessions, um, popularity, or prestige. It's found in serving others. I have found that the first secret of joy is taking the focus off myself. And the second secret of joy is putting my focus on other people. Because whenever I focus on power or possessions or popularity, it's fleeting. It doesn't last. Ultimate joy is found in serving other people. There's nothing like it. You're going to see this verse up here. Paul um, writes and echoes this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 17. I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service. Just like your faithful volunteering is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. It begins and ends with joy. To serve is to experience ultimate joy, deep joy, profound, lasting joy that is not fleeting, that's not waning. The most helpful that we are, the more happy that we are. It reminds me of a story I came across, a, a woman in a church knew about three kids that uh, wanted to be a part of her church, and yet they didn't have transportation because their parents wouldn't come to this church. And it was kind of on our way a little bit. It was 15 or 20 minutes out of the way to go pick them up. But she would go pick them up on Sunday mornings, just drive over in her little car and pick them up so that they would go to her church. And pretty soon, over time, they got connected to the youth group there, and these kids uh, found Christ. They received Christ in their life as their Lord and Savior. And, and this woman commented that she began to see profound changes in their lives. And the parents were quite interested in, in seeing this change. I mean, for the first time, they're doing their homework. For the first time, they're actually listening to the rules uh, at home. They're actually going to bed on time. So there's some, some kind of difference. They want to know what happened. What do they drink at? You know, what, what's happening at this church? And, and so the parents began to investigate. They went to this church as well. In the same way, they, fought, they fell in love with this Jesus and made him the Lord and Savior of their life. And she talked about how that experience, simply starting with a car ride, simply 15 or 20 minutes out of her way to drive these kids, that it brought her profound joy, a joy that she could not find anywhere else. And that's what serving does for us. And I think many of us, when it comes to serving, we see that as so simple and as so ordinary. And that's why I want to talk about that this morning. Because I think for a lot of us, when it comes to simple serving, rolling up our sleeves, giving transportation to someone, or providing a meal for somebody who's coming back from the hospital, it just seems so, so ordinary and so simple. And we have a culture that's trying to redefine joy and happiness in extraordinary ways. And it seems like serving is so small in comparison. I love this. Um, uh, John Quinlan, he's a writer at the New York Times in GQ, and you're going to see the, the quote up here. And he talks about how our culture has been changing more and more with this inability to accept the ordinary and the simple. He writes that we insist that every experience in our lives be a watershed. Every meal needs to be extraordinary. Every friendship, epical. Every concert, superb. Every sunset, meta-celestial. I like that term. 
Nothing can ever again be exactly what it was in the first place. Ordinary. It's like ordinary is a bad word. Today we feel the pressure to have our weddings look like the cover of bridal magazine or a movie set. Our marriages have to be made in heaven, even though they're very much, very much on earth. Our presentations at work have to dazzle. Our kids have to make the dean's list and get in the best graduate schools. Nothing short of brilliant and groundbreaking will ever satisfy so when you start talking about just simple, ordinary serving, it seems like it doesn't measure up to what's happening in our culture and what we're longing for. And yet serving, deep down, provides that lasting, lasting joy in our lives. It's the everyday opportunities. It's the simple opportunities that are extraordinary, that are groundbreaking. And being a pastor who serves other others brings me a deep and lasting and profound joy, unlike anything else I have. Next, why serve? Why engage in this uh, life of serving, whether it's as a volunteer or for me as a pastor? The next thing is it brings purpose to my life. The only way I find meaning in my life is when I give my life away and actually make a difference in the other in other people. It, it, it's, it's like what, what God says to Abraham, you're to be a blessing to others. That brings purpose in our lives. Jesus says in Mark chapter 8, verse 35, if you try to hang on to your life, in other words, if you try to clutch on to your life and make it about you, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. In other words, when you give your life away, when you become a blessing, when you serve others, you will find purpose in your life. It's interesting, after interviewing 400 Americans, a study found a major difference between happiness and purpose. This was done recently, um, not too long ago. Happiness focuses on taking while meaning and purpose focuses on giving. This study found that delineation. And the researchers concluded that happiness is about feeling good. Happy people tend to feel that life is easy, that they're in good physical health, and that they're able to buy the things that they need and want. The pursuit of happiness, these researchers found out, is also associated with being a taker. The study stated this, if anything, pure happiness is linked to not helping others in need. In contrast... Meaning and purpose is different. People leading a meaningful life get a lot of joy from giving to others. Having more meaning in life was associated with activities like buying presents for others, like sweaters off a damaged goods table. Just kidding. Um, Taking care of the kids or serving others. See, meaning and purpose is, is found in that. And I think each of us, that's what we want. What's my purpose? Why am I here on earth for? It's, a, it's, the, it's the profound question, question of Western civilization. It hasn't changed for centuries. Who am I and why am I here? It's what every novel is trying to answer with, their, with, with the stories of fiction. People whose lives have high levels of meaning help others, even when it comes at the expense of their own happiness. I love what Paul comments when he says, this about in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Be strong and immovable. Be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. You know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. So when you serve, when I serve, 
when we give up our, our time, help out somebody, it's never useless. There's a purpose to it. Whatever we do in serving, it has purpose. It has purpose because when we serve another person, we're actually serving a child of God. And that's sacred. And that is unique. Whenever we're serving another person, it doesn't matter where it is, we're serving a child of God. Well, another reason why um, we serve and another reason why serving is so important to pastoral ministry is, is that it enables me to have greatness in my life. It enables me to have a life of greatness or significance. Sam preached a great sermon last week on living a life of greatness. And for me, from my youngest years, growing up on a, a small farm in, in rural Wisconsin, um, is there something that was deep in my bones that I, I wanted to live a life of greatness? I wanted to live a life that mattered. I wanted to live a life that went way beyond um, just the average sort of stuff. I wanted to live a life that mattered. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20, verse 26, but among you, it'll be different. Whoever wants to be a leader, in other words, whoever wants to be great, you may want to underline that, Whoever wants to be great, it's right here. Among you, you must be your servant. So greatness is found in serving other people. It's very straightforward. You know, and I think for the disciples hearing this, it was like, oh, come on, there has to be something else. You know, come on, Jesus, you're, you're joking again. Greatness has to be defined in something else. Greatness has to be found in, in, in another way. But he says it over and over again. Greatness is found in serving the other. That's what it comes down to. That's what pastoral ministry comes down to, is serving the other. Greatness is not the size of your bank account. It's not the size of your, of your business. It's not the incredible shape of your body. It's not the thousands that follow you on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. Greatness is defined by serving other people rolling up your sleeves and serving them and loving on them. Serving the other leaves a mark in this world. And the question that we ask when it comes to greatness and this whole topic of serving is what kind of mark are you leaving here on earth? Because that's what we're getting at is the, the short amount of time that you and I have here on earth. We want to live great lives. We want to live lives that make a difference. And in doing so, hopefully that will leave a mark. But we have to kind of step back and ask the question, what kind of mark am I leaving behind? I might be aware of this and know these verses and have memorized, but really what kind of mark am I leaving here on earth? A handful of years ago, I went to the funeral of a student that was in one of my first youth groups. It was absolutely sad. He was in his late 20s, married, had a son. And as, at the funeral, um, I mean, it was so solemn, and a lot of the kids from the youth group were there. And then he played on a softball team, and the first couple of pews on the left side were, were full of all the softball players that had played with him for a number of years. And this, this student that died um, uh, was, a, was an amazing softball player. So these guys all had their softball outfits on. And during the course of the uh, funeral service, 
um, his, two, his two sisters shared and a friend shared. And the thing that was repeated over and over is that he was a great softball player. There was nothing about he made a difference in this person's life or, you know, um, he really helped me in this time. I can't tell me how many times I heard that phrase. He was a great softball player. And I sat there in that pew with tears in my eyes. That's absolutely tragic. That the legacy that he left was he, he was a great softball player. Now, he probably did make a difference in, in some people's lives, but at his funeral, that's all I heard. He was a great softball player. I had nothing against softball or baseball or anything like that at all. But is that the mark that you and I want to leave here on earth? Oh, he, 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 he was great at cribbage. You know? The, the legacy I want to I leave is that people would say, man, he, he, he gave up his time. He, he, he served me. He, he helped me during this time in my life. He, he rolled up his sleeves to, to be there for me and to help me move uh, from one house to the other. And that's the question. What kind of mark do you want to leave here on earth? And what are people going to say at your, at your funeral? Are they going to talk about the difference that you made, that you were others-focused, and that you served and gave of yourself towards other people? That's the sign. That's the sign of greatness. I love what John Wesley, the, the famous theologian and a writer of so many hymns, he once said this, Do all the good you can by all the means you can in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, and at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. That is a profound statement. If you remember anything this morning, take that quote with you. Wherever you are, it's to serve. That's leaving a mark of greatness, looking for opportunities to serve. The last reason why we serve, the last reason why I think serving is so essential and so integral to pastoral ministry is that I actually believe it changes the world. That's the last fill in the blank. It changes the world. It does. I really believe that. Because the question that sometimes comes into my mind is, what does God do each day? With with, with the earth rotating at about 1,040 miles per hour, uh, what is God doing during that time? What's he doing? And I think what God is doing is that he's at the table of damaged goods. And what God is trying to do is bring repair to us. He's trying to sort of mend some of our wounds. He's, he's trying to, to kind of help us with our defects. And, and what's absolutely beautiful about this is that God invites you and I to join him at that table to serve to help him in repairing the lives of other people. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, for we are co-workers in God's service. And what he's saying is that you and I in our lives, as we seek to serve, we're actually joining God at the table of damaged goods. That you and I are using our talents, our gifts, our abilities to serve and to, help, and to come alongside God to help at the table of damaged goods. And sometimes it's simply listening to someone who's going through a hard time. Other times it's providing perhaps transportation or a gift of money, what have you. But we're joining God. 
I saw a documentary uh, not too long ago. Again, remember, I'm a child of the 80s. And I saw a documentary on Michael Jackson and the 25th anniversary of his Bad album. And it was a really good documentary. And um, uh, during the documentary, I didn't know this, but Sheryl Crow was actually a backup singer and dancer on that Bad tour. She sang backup to Michael Jackson. And they interviewed Sheryl Crow, and they asked her about Michael. And she said this, Whenever he walked into a room, whenever he walked into an arena, the molecules changed. He had that kind of ability. And I believe this, that when you and I, in small, ordinary ways, when we serve the other, other, the molecules change. When you and I put aside our own agenda, put aside our own desires and wants, I believe the molecules in the world change. I really believe that. Serving changes the world. When we serve the other, whether it's caring for a baby in the nursery here, opening the door and greeting people that come into church, coming here early on a Sunday morning to brew coffee, it makes a difference. There was a synagogue I saw a number of years ago, and on the outside of that synagogue read the sign, changing the world one mitzvah at a time. One good work at a time. One kind deed at a time. I thought it was so beautiful and it summarized so much of what pastoral ministry and what being a Christian is all about. And the reason that we bless others and we serve others, and as the Bible talks about that, and it's so central to Christianity, it's so central to the Bible, is that it's the ultimate inevitable question, the question that each of us are asking, what is the good life? Who has the good life? Is it the people with money? Is it the people with looks? Is it the people with health? And the Bible's answer to the question is no, it's not that. It's blessing others and serving others, being a conduit for God's grace and God's ability to work through you and to come to the table of damaged goods and join God in bringing repair and renewal to this world, to this broken world. I want to qu- close with borrowing a couple of metaphors from Robert Kennedy in his speech, his famous speech at Cape Town, South Africa in the 1960s when he was talking about um, ending apartheid. And he shared this historic speech. And I just want to borrow a couple of his metaphors in, in my own words here. That few of us have the ability to dramatically alter the direction of the world. Few of us have that ability. But each of us can work in the small sections, in the small areas of our lives, where we live, where we work, where we play. We can change those small sections through serving, through spending time with a friend who is going through um, a hard moment in life, by um, simply giving a gift of money to somebody who's in need. Um, providing transportation, um, being a mentor to somebody. And when you and I do that, I send a ripple of hope and love into this world. And when you do that, you send out a ripple of hope and love. And soon, those ripples come together and they create a mighty current a current strong enough to overwhelm and overcome the skepticism, the cynicism, the darkness, and the evil in this world. 
a current strong enough to crash the gates of hell. Let me pray. Father God, we give thanks for this morning. And God, thank you for um, the beauty of serving. That as we serve the other, whether it's somebody here in this church or somebody who's homeless, that we are indeed serving a child of God. So God, help us. Help us get away, get away from our biases. Help us to get away from our ethnocentrism where our world is the world. Help us to get away from um, our own selfishness and what we want and actually to see people with your eyes. So God, I ask this morning that you give us new eyes. That you give us new eyes. Eyes to see people as you see them. And as we do, that your kingdom is expressed and expanded. And that the beauty and the grace that's found in you is experienced. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen.